uh, while most of us men are probably fairly ignorant about what mothers really want on Mother's Day, I'm just going to take a I'm going to take a guess. Let me take a biblical stab at it. Third uh, John verse four. So three John four. Three John four says, "I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth." And I think most, most mothers, most saved women, most godly women would say, yeah, that's exactly what I want. I want the joy of knowing my children walk in God's words because anything else is grief. And there are a lot of ways that grief comes into your life and our lives over time, um, whether we're mothers or not. But one way that can be a big grief for mothers is when their kids are not walking in the, in the words of God and what we want to do. Uh, today and all this summer, I really have an emphasis on turning to God, being in His Word, learn how to follow God this summer. So honor your mother by believing the Word and following who God is, and uh, we're going to talk about exactly how to do that uh, today. So go ahead and stand if you would. Do we have a picture? Yes, right there. I just got that. You see the timestamp 1102. That's from Tom and the team who are in Zambia right now, 6 p.m. their time. And so they just preach. They just finished preaching all the Sunday services. Uh, they will be doing, I think, pastors' conferences and all sorts of stuff there in the Conde, Zambia. Very difficult to get through. Uh, get to, uh, they had to enter in through uh, Tanzania, as I recall, and one of those individuals is in the same clothes that they left in because their luggage never arrived, even yet. So be praying for that. Um, but doesn't have a grass skirt on, no. Um, but God's good hand is on their ministry, so I want to praise the Lord for that and also pray for them. So I wanted to Put that picture up as we get ready to pray. Go ahead and bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you today. We can come together on this Mother's Day knowing what it's really about, knowing what we should want if we don't want, because Lord, if we had that, it would save us so much grief. I pray for the team in Zambia right now. I ask that you would give them a good night and a good night's rest. Be with them as they minister to pastors and others in that place where we sponsor, God, God, we sponsor 135 or 145 kids every year as to their food, their clothing, their education. Uh, Lord, just the things you've done and planting churches as a result of that. God, we give you praise. We pray you'd be with them uh, until the time that they come back. We ask that you would minister to us today through your word We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to the book of Ruth again, Ruth chapter 1. There was a college student that uh, walked into a photography studio with a framed picture of his girlfriend because he wanted that picture to be professionally reproduced. And so that involved removing the picture from the frame. And in doing that, they noted an inscription on the back of the picture itself. And the inscription said, Dear Charles, I love you with all my heart. I love you more and more each day. I will love you forever and ever. I am yours for all eternity. And it was signed Camilla. And then there was a P.S. And the P.S. said, P.S., if we ever break up, I want this picture back. (laughs) 
Now, all that to say that I hope you get your mother what she wants this Mother's Day uh, or else she wants her best years back. I know she said she loved you forever, but she's going to want her best years back. Last Sunday, we finished the book of Daniel, and next topic we're going to take up expositorily is we're going to enroll in the School of the Prophets, summer school. Twelve, it is the last 12 books of your Old Testament, and we're just going to take them one Sunday at a time. So 12 Sundays on those 12 books, and in order to get your head to stop spinning, uh, we've kind of been alternating that with a short series at this point, four singles, uh, but not just for them that we've entitled The Single-Minded Life. We'll probably do one or more messages in that still, maybe one more Sunday uh, in looking at this. And then I want to move into uh, looking at uh, marriage and family issues and alternating that on Sunday mornings uh, with the School of the Prophets because I really think that we need to take this summer and we need to discover exactly what does it mean and exactly how do we turn to God? How do we follow God at this time? So happy Mother's Day because this particular dip into this topic deals with something that I think all mothers struggle with and the rest of us do as well. So I want to get something straight right up front. This is our thesis for today's study. Real love means fulfilling the scriptural and God-designed distribution of roles and responsibilities in your relationships. But now often we cannot ascertain if we're developing biblical real love or not because we are blinded by the popular notions of love in our media and in our society. And you'll remember from last time how Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth are all widows, so they are all single again. So they go through this grief. What do you do when you go through unimaginable grief? As we all do, but as many women do. The grief of a miscarriage, the grief of divorce, the grief of the death of a child by accident or disease, or the violence of our day that touches so many families that we know. But, you know, the story, the point of our text is not about these women's relationship with men. It is about their relationship with each other and with God. And so this study shows us how to press pause and focus on women, single, married, and mothering, and subsequently their relationship with men and what we can all learn from them. So God takes us back to how it ought to be, and he lets us witness men and women as individuals before him, people of self-worth, self-understanding, and self-consecration. And so it portrays women who are not consumed with wanting a man and needing a man or being left by a man, but women who have summoned through faith. Through, through turning to God and the words of God, they have summoned an inner courage and a personal strength in the inner man that allows them to think clearly about themselves and about life. So I need to tell you, there is one fundamental place that you have to start, and this is our first point for study. The only way to think clearly and soberly about your life and about others is by thinking of yourself as an individual before God. 
And you'll never be sober in your thinking until you are saved by Jesus, turning to God through his word and in a relationship with God. What do you want us to do with your kids here at Harvest? I'll tell you what we do. Do you, do you, want, us, you want us to teach them the Bible? Or do you want us to turn them to God? Do you want us to see them turn to God or just teach them the Bible? See, I think we need to teach them the Bible so that they will turn to God and walk with God every day of their life. We want to teach you and your kids how to walk with God in your marriage, in your home, in your family. And you will never think clearly about human relationships until you have unearthed and discovered your spiritual relationship to God. And now notice that this story called Ruth is not even really about Ruth. It is written as part of the Old Testament to reveal how a Moabite woman with integrity and virtue gets related to the rich lineage of King David and therefore the line of Jesus the Messiah. So this story gives us several instructive glimpses into how Ruth, Naomi, and Orpah feel about their predicament, process their pain, think about their lives, and move on. It shows us how they deal with their challenges. And I think that by looking at Ruth chapter 1, we can learn something about women, men, men and women and the developmental stages of biblical maturity and spiritual stability. I mean, isn't that what you want? A biblical maturity that brings you spiritual stability in this life. Uh, that would solve your anxiety issues. That would solve the anger issues. I mean, just look at your neighbor and say, no more drama. I mean, where's Mary J. Blige when you need her? So come here and let me set the context for our text so it is not a pretext. Verse 1 tells us this story takes place in the days when the judges ruled. That's about 1300 B.C. And it all starts with a famine in that Bethlehem, which was in the tribal allotment of Judah. In other words, what was going to become David's hometown. And so the name Bethlehem means house of bread because of the disobedience of God's people. Not only were they subject to periodic oppression and occupying powers in the book of Judges, from which the judges were sent to deliver them, and as, and, and as a matter of fact, this chapter of Ruth fits right in between chapter 3 and chapter 4 of the book of Judges. Well, God also sent them natural disasters, which were a nat national calamity, because the house of bread has no bread due to a God-ordained drought because of their disobedience. They're not walking with God. They're walking with the people of the nations that surround them and have forgotten about God. And Moab is the oppressing enemy that had just been overthrown. So God delivers his people, but they do not put him at the center. They do not turn to God's words, and they do not follow God and worship him. So God sends a famine so that he will not have to send another foreign occupation. Clearly, Elimelech does not have his focus 
on his relationship with God. So Elimelech says to Naomi, we're leaving here on the midnight train to Moab. L.A. proved too much for the man, so he's leaving the life he's come to know. He said he's going back, back to find, ooh, what's left of his world, the world he left not so long ago. He's leaving on that midnight train to Georgia. And he's going back to a simpler place in time. Now, I can see you never kicked it with the pips. <laughs> and you fronting and acting like you've been in church all your life. But that's okay, because there's so much to unpack from this passage. So, as a matter of fact, you just walked past a powerful principle of personal enablement. Let me drop it like it's hot and move on. Uh, let me give you your, respon your responsibilities in getting unstuck. Now, I would say unstuck from stupid, but you, don't know, you know I don't talk about people that way. And, uh, you know, yet nobody can get unstuck for you but you. So I'm going to tell you how right now. But you got to unstick yourself. You, number one, you have to assess your circumstances, evaluate your options, and determine a course of action based on God's words, and thereby make the correct choice. Okay, one day, Joe, Bob, and Dave were hiking in the wilderness, and they came across a large, violent river, and they needed to get to the other side, and they had no idea how they're going to do that. So Joe prays to God, and Joe says, please, God, give me the strength to cross this raging river. And poof, all of a sudden, he's got arms and legs like, like the rock. You know, like Dwayne, he looks like Dwayne Johnson. And he swims across the river. It takes about two hours, and he almost drowns a couple of times, but he made it. Well, seeing that, Dave prayed to God, saying, please, God, give me the strength and the tools to cross this river. And poof, God gives him a rowboat, and he's able to row across the river. It took about an hour. He, he almost capsized twice, but he made it. Well, Bob, Bob saw how this worked for the other two, and so he prays to God, and he says, Please, God, give me the strength, give me the tools, and give me the intelligence to cross this river. And poof, God turned him into a mother. God turned him into a mother, and what did she do? She looked at the map hiked upstream about 50 yards, and walked across the bridge. <laughs> now, listen, I'm not for a gender transition. All I'm trying to say is, as, as you live the life that God gave you, you better look at his map and follow his directions. And nobody can do that but you, and nobody can do that for you. So Elimelech is a married child of God, and yet he's responding in unbelief. He's doing the best a lost man can do on a good day. Instead of trusting God in the promised land, he leaves it, and that unscriptural response to the drought is a short-sighted reaction that brings him a long-term consequence for both he and his family. Now, it's possible, but I think not likely, that Elimelech, being a descended from a Jewish man and a Jericho woman named Rahab, well, maybe he wasn't instructed in all the promises of God, but it was still his responsibility as the head of the house in the land of promise to seek God's promises out and to know them and to claim them and to live in the faith of God. Now, hold it, because if it's not practical, it's not preaching. 
Okay, so I ain't preaching if I haven't made it practical. Let me reduce this down to an action statement for you. Nobody can read your Bible and know your Bible for you but you. And mothers, for you, it may take some imagination and creativity. You might need to go into the bathroom and shut the door. You may have to drag yourself out of bed early. You may have to battle depression and distractions. You may have to stick your fingers in your ears and stop listening to all the devil's discouragements. But no matter what, it is your responsibility to know what God's handbook says about how to live the human life. You say, Alan, could it be that simple? I will say that is the answer for our entire society. Our children are not walking with God because the ones who raised them are not walking with God. And nobody in their equation that they can see within their eyesight has ever turned to God, trusted God, and walked with Him. So it is no wonder that they default to the devil. So this couple relocates to Moab. A few years after their arrival, Elimelech up and dies, leaving Naomi a single mom. Things are already tied when tragedy strikes that tapestry of their fragile existence. But to her credit, Naomi keeps on. Her boys become men. They meet and marry Moabite women. From that standpoint, things are looking up. But tragedy touches her life two more times. Both her sons died, leaving Naomi and their wives as widows. And now they've got to deal with that grief. I mean, one hit after another, one funeral after another. And this is our second point for study. No matter how well you live, this is the dispensation of God's silence, except for what he's already said. I mean, I'm just keeping it real for you on Mother's Day. This is the age of faith, not sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. So you will not hear God in an audible voice today. No one can prophesy for God a word over you today. No, you've got to read him in the verbal fashion that he has preserved in his scriptures. And that means you've got to deal with today's three challenges to faith. First, life's evident randomness. Can your faith rest in God's providence when it looks like what, what happened with, was coincidence? Second, God's apparent absence. Can you believe in the involvement of God even when you cannot see the presence of God? And then finally, God's seeming silence. Can your faith grasp the principles, the promises, the precepts of God's word so that you can trust God even when God hasn't answered your prayer? And you got to face that this Mother's Day. I know too many mothers that have too many grieves. Griefs of, you know, they've been grieved over too many things. And a lot of times from the children in their life or from the men in their life or from the loss in their life. And I want you to grow and mature and be balanced. Those three things are important for every mother and for all of us. Grow, mature, and be balanced. Because you're going to have to face this fact 
that we are in the age of faith and not sight. It's only the age of sight in the sense of what God has preserved for you that is written down in the scripture. And what that means is that just because you are good doesn't mean that everything is going to be good. Everything's not going to be good even when you're good. But even when things are not good, God is still good all the time. Lamentations 3 verse 21. Jeremiah says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Here's what I recall. It is of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed because his compassions fail not. I don't care how long the trial lasts. The compassion lasts longer. And they are new every morning. So however, however bad I felt yesterday, that all ended last night. Great is thy faithfulness. So say this even when you do not see this, because this is the age of faith and not sight. And if you're going to please God, you've got to believe God. Hebrews 11 verse 6. And you can believe God simply because of what he says in his word, despite all outward appearances. Naomi's life falls apart after the death, both of her husband and both her sons. But now she hears some good news, and she makes a right choice based on the word that she hears. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. And after she hears the good news speaking God's grace, she heads the right direction. She turns, she follows God, seeking God's grace. Is that you? Is that you today? You're hearing the words of God's grace. Are you going to turn and seek God's grace and follow God's grace? I mean, she packs her things. She starts her journey back to Bethlehem with her, her two daughters-in-law. I mean, they go at least as far as the state line. And, and she's resolved to believe the report that she has heard all the way in Moab and return home. Verse 7, wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Now let me borrow the screen of your anointed imagination. Here they are, leaving town, and suddenly Naomi turns, and she turns around, she looks at her two daughters-in-law, and she tests them by tempting them to turn around and go back to Moab. And the first test is this. It is the promise of personal prosperity. They won't get it with her. She says in verse 8, And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye might find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. So the text tells us when she kisses them, they cry out loud. They'd made the correct choice, but now they're facing the consequent challenge to the choice that they made. And that's our third point for study. The devil will never let you make the right choice by faith without challenging your faithfulness to follow what you put faith in. So do not doubt in the dark whatever God shows you in the light. We're not ignorant of Satan's devices. 
After God shows you His Word, Satan is going to show you something which seemingly contradicts the Word that God showed you. And then instead of sticking by what He showed you in His Word, you doubt God. And in dubious disbelief, you mock God by modifying your life according to your circumstance instead of modifying your circumstance according to Scripture. Hello, somebody. I mean, that explains a whole lot right there, doesn't it? So if you would just go ahead and cry, but then end up doing what God showed you to do in the first place, what He told you to do anyway, you would be unstuck from stupid. That is getting unstuck. You would not need to hit another legal blunt. You could buy a box of Kleenex on the way home instead of that bottle MD-2020. Look at your neighbor and say, how do you know about that? Get in the room and boo-hoo instead of booze. Boo-hoo instead of blunt. Fall down all over yourself, then get up and do the right thing by God's word no matter what. When you do that, you will be unstuck. It was a weak resolution, but those daughters of Naomi, daughters said to her in verse 10, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. So after passing the temptation of personal prosperity, they're ready to face the temptation of problematic predicaments. Now look at the worldly rationalization that even Naomi throws at them. Look at verse 11. And Naomi says, turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way. For I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope. If I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. You know, a young lady visited a dating service one time and she said to the proprietor, said, look, I'm looking for a spouse. Can you help me find the right one? And the matchmaker said, well, what exactly are you looking for? And she said, well, let me see. Needs to be good looking, uh, needs to be polite and humorous and sporty and knowledgeable and good at singing and dancing and willing to stay with me the whole day when I'm home and if I, if I don't go out and then, you know, be able to tell interesting stories when I get bored and I need conversation and then be silent whenever I want to rest. So the matchmaker took that, entered the information into his specially configured AI computer software and in a matter of moments he handed the chat GPT results to the woman and the results read, by a television. See, Naomi's acting like there ain't no men in Bethlehem. And she's making herself the center, her womb the center. She is listing her inability to have children and her impatience about having more sons. And then she makes that statement of unbelief. My hope for my family is finished because time is not on my side. Now, am I talking to somebody who has said that very statement themselves? And I want to encourage you, do not take a wrong turn in your midlife crisis. 
Do not do the wrong thing because of unfulfilled desires. Because here's our fourth point for study. You should not want anything you cannot have in righteousness. If you cannot get it by faith after trusting God's word, then you will regret it if you get it. These women had been with each other. They supported each other in mutual grief when they funeralized their husbands. And now they're grieving the loss of one another. Naomi says, since I'm all out of options, you girls need to go. But finally, in verse 14, Ruth has a wise response. Because even though Naomi is not pointing her to God right now, Ruth knows her options ain't in Naomi. They're not in Naomi's womb. Her options are in Naomi's God. And so she's willing and she's able to get unstuck and go be with God in the promised land rather than have a man outside the land of promise. Verse 14, and they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Verse 9, they both weep because Naomi's kissing them both goodbye. In verse 14, they both weep, but this time for different reasons. Orpah is crying because she's not going to see her mother-in-law ever again. But Ruth is crying because she does not want her mother-in-law to send her away from following her to Bethlehem. So after the test of personal prosperity, after the test of problematic predicaments, there's one final temptation. It is, it is the most prominent one in our day, and yet the one that we are most ignorant to. Uh, society does not recognize this today. Psychologists do not recognize this today. In all aspects of relationships and social interactions, we do not recognize this anymore. I don't know why. Because this last test is peer pressure. Watch verse 15. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. So Orpah kissed and ran. Ruth clung and resolved. Orpah thought if she was going to get a husband, it could only be assured with her own kin back in Moab. Ruth says, God's more important to me than a husband is right now. I'm going to trust him and let him sort out the consequences. Verse 16, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. So Ruth is not following Naomi in order to get a husband. She is following Naomi to get the one true God. Ruth is converting. She is turning. She is following. She is getting unstuck because she knows Naomi's got the right God no matter how distrustful Naomi had previously been. And I want a great picture for you this Mother's Day. I mean, it's a great picture of where you need to be at with God. It's also a great picture of what happens when you get saved. You choose to walk in the way of wisdom and you receive by faith a promise of everlasting life that you do not yet have by sight. And then you cleave to Jesus and you start following him and you lodge with him. Ephesians 2, 2 Corinthians 6. You become part of a new people because you take their God. You are made part of their spiritual family. Romans 8, Galatians 4, Ephesians 1. And better than with Ruth... Nothing can ever part you from the Lord Jesus, including death, 
John chapter 10. So turn off your motor a minute. Let me, let me park in your driveway. Ruth responds to God like all of us should by being willing to give up. Give up everything and everyone and leave to cleave to Christ. Be willing to give up whatever in order to turn and follow God. Believe and receive Jesus for everlasting life. But let me break it down like a fraction by giving you a second responsibility to unstick yourself. This is number two. Start being the Lord's. Stop being me. You do not need self-expression. You need a scriptural expression of yourself. I don't even know what the phrase authentic self means, except to say that it means the self that you are in Adam You don't want to be that. You need to be your eternal self, not your authentic self. Your authentic self was born broken. It was born broken and wrong. That is why you hurt others as well as being hurt. You don't need your authentic self. You need a new eternal self, and you need to walk in who you are in Christ. You can do that. I mean, it doesn't matter if we're talking about friendships or love affair or marriage. Every relationship is going to be tested and every relationship is going to have challenges. And Ruth leaves Moab with Naomi. She cleaves to Naomi. She ends up in the line of Jesus Christ being the great grandmother of King David. So now watch this because this is your responsibility in getting unstuck. When issues arise... Each person in the relationship, and this is number three, has the opportunity to declare your position, to take a biblical stand, and to assert your new life in Christ. And you can do this because the Spirit of God answers to the Word of God, and that means the Word of God will always do the work in you. All the broken stuff of your authentic self will be solved by the ministry of the Spirit through the Word of God. And yet too many times when issues come up, we fail to stand on the Bible or walk in the way of wisdom. And we duck and we dodge and we backpedal instead. We compromise our spirituality, our balance, and our growth. Hello, somebody. The more you circumvent and evade stating your stand on Scripture, the more that relationship will become codependent, And eventually it manipulates, it dominates, and it eventuates in you getting stuck. You will be completely captivated, totally consumed, lose all sense of who you are in Christ. You'll wonder whether or not you really know how to think. Whether you can make it without being married. Uh, Whether you can get through this mothering thing or not. And if you're not careful, you will become stuck too, stupid. Well, you are stuck on stupid. Ruth wasn't like that. Naomi may have lost her faith, but that did not affect Ruth's choice. Ruth did did not let a carnal Christian keep her from Christ. She did not let the hypocrites in the church keep her from getting God's word. I mean, too often we use the insanity defense. The insanity defense is when we use the insanity of somebody else to justify our own irrational actions. But if you follow the advice of a crazy person just because they said it, that makes you as crazy as them. 
I guess my point is, if you don't know who you are, you don't know what you want. Yeah, I'd just turn to your neighbor and say, what did he say? It is your responsibility to set the boundaries, but only knowing who you are in Christ and following him is going to tell you where the boundaries got to be. Okay, watch Mark 8, 35, for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. So a sense of who you are in Christ is fundamental to preserving your real self because your creator knows who he created you to be, even if you don't. And when you lose yourself by not losing yourself in Christ, you have lost the operational capacity to function in your environment. Savvy? I mean, you can either stay stuck on stupid or you can lose yourself in Christ and find a biblical, godly sense of self-identity. Let me open a window on that word. Your smartphone has a GPS system. That's why it's smart. And so it hooks you up to a satellite to determine your location and then route you in the shortest distance or shortest time to your destination. But, you know, I discovered that if I change the position of my seat, it won't say anything. Uh, That's because the position of my seat is inconsequential to my destination. The only time that Siri talks to me is when it concerns the direction of my vehicle. So if I miss a turn, it will reroute me. If I approach a critical intersection, it will let me know. If I'm coming up to something that will affect my destination or even the time it takes me to arrive, it will let me know. Now, I don't see why you're not getting this, because God is not going to tell you today how many pieces of chicken to eat after this service. (laughs) That is on you. But God is going to talk to you when a decision affects your destiny. And between your destiny and your destination, God expects you to use the way of wisdom. What is the way of wisdom? You're asking good questions this morning. Watch. Look at Proverbs 4, verses verses 11 to 13. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I've led thee in the right paths. Okay, you've got to follow. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened. And when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. So the way of wisdom is related to teaching and instruction because the way of wisdom is God's words. Have you taken fast hold of the words of God in the Bible? You know, a lot of times people don't want to do anything until it just hits them. Well, I don't want to join the church until it just hits me. No, you have a word on joining, Acts chapter 2. You have a word on being obedient in baptism, Matthew chapter 28. You have a word on being discipled and becoming discipler, Matthew 16, Acts Acts chapter 6. You have a word on giving and tithing and do not make the way of wisdom more mysterious than it is. Research the word so you can develop wisdom for yourself, then pray over it so you can develop patience as you submit to it and let it do its work. What if you step the wrong way even after all of that? Well, then enter the grace of God. And I draw your attention to the hymn that I put on the fifth panel of your prayer diary this week. 
So that was in the handout you were given. So for Thursday is the hymn, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold. Threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yea, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray today that you'd move on our hearts right now. Lord, move on hearts right now to recognize their need of you so that they can take the first step, the first step toward living as a whole person, body, soul, and spirit, so that they can live as a holy person to the glory of your son, Jesus. We thank you that he came and died. Lord, we thank you that you raised him again so that we could have life in this life more abundant and so that we could have everlasting life after death. Lord, we praise you for that gift. We ask you for your grace as we go on. Will you simply believe on Jesus for everlasting life today? I mean, maybe you came here as a visitor. It's it's Mother's Day after all. The Bible may sound strange to you, but it is God's word to you. And if you want to be saved right now, if you want to be promised eternal life, life after death, all you have to do is pray. Your heart to God, knowing that he hears because Jesus is alive. Just pray and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I trust Jesus today for everlasting life. He's the one who died for me. He's the one who did it all. I I trust in his finished work. So, Jesus, I give you my life. Go ahead and stand as we get ready for the praise team to send us out singing. If you prayed and you trusted Jesus today, come up and let us know. I want to give you a copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. We have people here at the front of the aisle so that want to, you know, if you need prayer, if you want to be prayed with, prayed for, prayed over, come up and let us know. We'd love to pray with you today.